Well, we are working our way through a series on the Psalms and um, with a particular emphasis on, uh, on, on spirituality, what the Psalms tell us about the relationship that the person who wrote the Psalm had with their God. So the, although this Psalm we're looking at today is 3,000 years old, uh, written by King David, um, it's completely relevant today I, I would suggest in, in every part and, and I have to say if, if I have to choose any of the psalms as my favourite well I could narrow it down to quite a short list but this would be certainly near the top of my short list uh, of favourite psalms um, so let's have a look at the psalm and um, one of the things about the psalms is their honesty and I think that's absolutely vital. The, the psalmist, you know, in some bits he's saying, break their teeth, Lord. You know, he's being really honest about his deep emotions. Sometimes he's crying out of despair. And sometimes he's on the top of the mountain. So all of the emotions uh, of, of humanity are there in the psalms. And that's the way we encounter God. Each of us, in our own personality, each of us in our own emotional uh, makeup. Uh, and intellectual makeup, we can all encounter God in, in our own way. So, you know, it's not a case of being like King David, but learning from him how to encounter God and relate to him in every kind of walk of our lives. So we've, uh, we've used this phrase a number of times today in, uh, in our prayers um, and uh, in our songs. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And... Uh, David was, uh, is expressing great confidence in this psalm, and his confidence comes from knowing that the Lord is his light and his salvation. Now, when we, in these opening, opening verses of the psalm, it's quite clear which phase of David's life we're talking about. I mean, this is David, the little shepherd boy, facing Goliath, the great monster, how dare you insult the armies of the living God? You know, who are you? Who is that great Philistine bloke over there? I will fight him. I'm getting breathless as I speak because I did an assembly on this the other day and every time I was Goliath, I jumped on the table and then I jumped down again. I, was, I realised I shouldn't do that at my age. But anyway... <laughs> David was not afraid of this huge giant, and the whole of the Israelite army were terrified of him. But David, with his little slings, he said, You may come with a big sword, uh, but I come in the name of the Lord my God. And that is something that David knew from a very, very young age. Uh, his confidence in God. And uh, I wonder if you're like that. I wonder if you were like it when you first became a Christian. Now, there's two different questions, isn't it? The very often young Christians who've recently come to faith, and I can look back to, to my, my days when I, when I definitely gave my heart to the Lord, knowing that I was that confident in everything, you know. But as life goes on, and the battles that you've fought, sometimes the edge is taken off of that. And the confidence takes a different form. Uh, now, that... So we don't lose. Sometimes you can lose your confidence completely, but very often it takes a different form. And we're going to see how that unfolds during this psalm. So David is so confident that he says, even if an army were to uh, advance against me, I would not be afraid. 
Now, I think not many of us here are old enough to remember um, the, the last world war uh, from a point of view. Some of us perhaps were children at that time. Uh, with the imminence of an invasion of a foreign army to our land, I mean, that was a real, uh, a real threat uh, at one time, wasn't it? I wonder if you were under that a threat, even if you can't think back to that point, if you put yourself in the position of maybe the, the, the people in Yemen or the people uh, in the part of Syria that's trying to withhold the last advance of the Syrian army. Whether you could say in the midst of that impending uh, invasion, the Lord is my light, I shall not be afraid... I wonder. That's a kind of a testing point for our faith, isn't it? But yet David, at the beginning, uh, is declaring that even if war break out against me, even then I will be confident. That's an incredible level of confidence, isn't it? So let's have a look uh, a bit further on then at um, his secret. What is David's secret to be able to have that level of confidence? Well, it's the next bit that we've used in our prayers um, One thing I have asked, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Uh, And this talks about, not so much about David's confidence, but about his priorities. One thing I seek. And again, I wonder if I were to ask you, what is the one thing that you seek? I wonder. Well, I won't ask you. What is the one thing? Okay, put yourself in, in the position of being in that uh, surrounded town with the enemies going, you've got one window to get out. You've got to get out tonight, and you can only take one thing with you. What would you take? You can only take one thing, folks. Take Mary. Oh, very good answer. Oh. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she, she, can, well, she can test whether... No, no, no. Um, no, I think we stopped that one. Okay, you, you can take the people in your house, but what about one thing? David would take his Bible. Okay, very good. Anything else? I bet some of you probably grab your photo album, you know, of your, of your kids when they were little, or something like that, which is, emo- you know, great sentimental value and irreplaceable. You know, you can always buy a new most things. Um, but if you had to take one thing, it's really hard, isn't it? Say you, you had a fire in your house and you had to get out very quickly. You haven't got time to go through everything. One thing. It would, it would say what was the most important thing to you. And David's most important priority is to seek God. And he's talking about seeking God, not seeking what he can get from God. So he's not seeking God just because he wants to get some kind of reward, but he's seeking him actually because seeking God is the most important thing that we can do. And if you are in the front line in a battle uh, and you're being surrounded by enemies, there's not much else you can do, is there? Apart from seek God. If you're, uh, and, and I've just mentioned a couple of people who are kind of in their last stages of their life. When you get to that stage, 
I haven't got there myself, so I, but I guess your priorities will change. The things that you really prioritised when you were young and active maybe aren't the same as if you knew that your days were really numbered. You will probably value relationships. You'll probably value prayer more. Uh, and things that you can't take with you. Like the uh, chap who, when I was teaching with who, who used to say to me, Laurie, if I can't take it with me, I ain't going. <laughs> Sorry, Pete. Yes, you are. Um, we don't have a choice, do we? But our priority might be all sorts of things. I mean, it could be building up our business. It could be building up our family. And all of those things are good things. But actually, David's priority is to seek God and gaze upon his beauty. There's a kind of an image of meditation here, isn't there? And contemplation of actually being in the place where you are aware and conscious of the presence of God uh, and that you can... Um, I think Dilla mentioned last week the practicing the presence of God, didn't you, uh, Brother Lawrence? Um, you know that's that is the most important thing. To be in God's presence is the most important thing to David. Now, there's a clue here as well. If you were if you were to be seeking God, let's say someone came up to you and said, "I, I want to seek God." Where would you tell him to start seeking him or her, him or her? Oh dear. So, the Bible would be a good place to start, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah the Bible is a good place. Um, yeah. Anywhere else? All around him? Yeah. Church? Yeah. A group of people? Yeah. So, where does David want to seek God? Uh, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Now, obviously, the, the place where the Jews would seek uh, uh, would be in his temple. But actually, David didn't have a temple, did he? Because David hadn't actually uh, built the temple. It wasn't until his son Solomon built the temple. They had the tabernacle, the porter temple, which they carried around with them. Uh, but they didn't have the temple. But the temple took over from the tabernacle as the place where people went to worship God and to seek him. But, you know, um, this whole psalm, if we bring it up to this century, we are now post-New Testament, aren't we? So, uh, if you read the New Testament, the word temple begins to mean something else when it's in Jesus' lips uh, and in the New Testament. Can anyone tell me what the temple is in the New Testament? Yeah, 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 could be. Our body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so yes, in your heart, yep. Actually, we can look inside and find, by examining ourselves, um, that's a kind of Ignatian spirituality. But yes, you can find God by examining your own heart. Okay, you can find God by reading his word. What about other means of of, uh, the word temple? What did Jesus say? He said... I tell you, I will knock this temple down. In three days, I'll rebuild it. What was he talking about? His body. Okay, so in the New Testament, Jesus becomes the temple. Yeah. 
Absolutely. His body is the temple which has been rebuilt in three. Carry on. Um, think about Corinthians, maybe. The temple is... Someone's already mentioned this, actually. I think, Keith, you said church. Yeah. The temple is the body of Christ. So you are God's temple. Don't you know that you are the temple? And where Paul is talking plural, uh, actually the temple is Jesus. The temple is inside us. The temple is the body of Christ, the people of Christ. So we don't have to go to a building, uh, although it might be helpful. Um, But actually it is the people uh, where the spirit dwells who become the temple. So if we were to translate this, psalm into today uh david you know when he used the temple that it would could mean all of those things but there's also as we said you can seek god in his creation uh which was like a you know the original temple (laughs) before they had any buildings that was the place where people found god in his creation and actually when we look at the very opening line of this psalm Jesus adopts a lot of these psalms, doesn't he? Just as uh, we were thinking about uh, with Dilla, the Lord is my shepherd, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Just as the Lord is my light, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Uh, Just as the Lord is my salvation, Jesus said, you could think of one, surely, I am... The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, you know, this whole psalm, Jesus has has, has kind of adopted it, hasn't he? Uh, As He would have been very familiar with all of these psalms. So his confidence comes from his priority to seek God in his temple. Um, Now, here, here it begins to take a change, looking forward. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. So when trouble comes, sometimes being in in that place where you know that you're in God's presence is the most secure place that you can be. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. There we are, that's the tabernacle, the dwelling place that predated the temple. And set me high on a rock. All these images uh, are, are here, aren't they, of security. If you're in a flood, the best place is to be is on the top of a solid rock as the flood waters rush by. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Do you know what comes to my mind there? Paul and Silas. They're caught in, in the marketplace preaching they are whipped so all the skins hanging off their back and in the prison at midnight what are they doing singing songs goodness me i mean that is incredible isn't it here they are praising god in song in the middle of the night with you know bleeding wounds and with all the pain that went with with that that is incredible so paul and silas have learned how to adopt this Uh, confidence by their priority is to remain in the presence of God I I think that's fantastic so we can't all match up to that very easily Uh, and if you're thinking gosh I'm not a super Christian like that don't worry let's have a look at the next verse 
there's a distinct change in tone in verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Maybe that's a more familiar prayer for us. We've been in that place and that is our prayer. First, before we regain that confidence, David had been in places in his life when he he was desperately in need. In those times when Saul was trying to kill him uh, after he had committed adultery and all of his family troubles uh, took place. Even Absalom, his son, is trying to kill him. You know, David knew terrible, terrible suffering and, uh, and trouble. It wasn't all victorious life for David. And there would have been times when he would have said, hear my voice when I call. But what does he say? My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. So sometimes we need to remind ourselves that our priority is to seek God. Because when, when, when we start getting into trouble, uh, very often we forget that. And this is where actually a, a discipline comes in. If we have a discipline of prayer or Bible reading or whatever it is, that keeps us going through the times when we'd rather give up. So all of those things are good uh, to have a structure. I mean, that's why we meet week by week, isn't it? On a Sunday. Uh, to encourage one another and to remind one another that we must seek God together as his temple, his, his body. So remind, what, what, what's the main thing? Uh, keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to seek God all the days of my life. Not just when things are going well or just when things are going bad, but actually all the days of my life. And now David begins to show some fear. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. He's he's, he's struggling, isn't he? And, And what was probably uppermost in David's mind at this time in his life was the fact that his predecessor, Saul, was anointed by God, but he fluffed up. He lost sight of God. And, uh, and God removed his Holy Spirit from Saul because he, he turned to idols and he turned to uh, spiritists and he turned to all the things apart from God to seek God in his temple. So David is actually fearful. Uh, and in Psalm 51, he says, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. He's thinking about what happened to Saul. Don't let that happen to me, Lord. But he's feeling abandoned. He's worried that God will let him go, but actually he says, don't do that like you did to Saul. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Yes, even human parents can abandon their children. But maybe uh, in the words of Isaiah, um, we think about this, though a mother may abandon you. I will not leave you. In Isaiah 49. God's promised never to leave us. So there's a, there, although this is a, a kind of a fearful cry, there's actually a, a, a note of hope. The Lord will receive me. I feel like I'm being abandoned, but I know in my head that the Lord will receive me. This is where actually heart and head come in. 
If we're ruled by our heart, by our emotions, then actually we can be all over the place. If we are ruled entirely by our head, then we are not compassionate. We can't empathise with people. Uh, But if we get the balance between head and heart, when the heart is going a bit wobbly, the head says, seek his face. Okay? Uh, There's kind of managing to keep both of these things together. And then a prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. David's obviously concerned that he has strayed from God's path. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. David is still teachable. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you're not teachable, I mean, there's always something new to learn, isn't there? Uh, and um, I, one of the things I, I used to love about Bill Welch was I, Karen and I used to go and visit them, uh, Bill and Eunice, and he'd been retired for many years when I knew him. And he was very frail. He'd had polio when he was young, so he was suffering from the consequences of that, the post-polio syndrome in his old age. But he couldn't get out to church. But he said, on Sunday morning, uh, Eunice and I, we, we, we can't really sing the hymns now, but we get the hymn book out and we read the words of the hymns. And at one time, even after he retired, he was still writing a sermon every week, even if he didn't preach it. You know, isn't that wonderful spirituality? Someone who just keeps going and keeps in the word and, uh, and keeps the worship going. I, I, I take my hat off to dear Bill. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. That's one of the most insidious things, isn't it? False witnesses. When people say things about you that aren't true. We hear it all the time in the news now, don't we? And maybe it's been said of you, accusations from somebody, malicious accusations, whatever they may be, very, very hard to counter that, but you have to stand firm and to stand on the rock, which is the truth. There are times in our lives when we need to just hang on in there. And now we're coming to the end of the psalm, the last two verses. After all of that... David says this, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Isn't that good? After all this, I, I want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, don't you? Because, you know, it's all very well saying, one day you'll be in heaven and you'll be floating around, you'll have no worries at all. But what about today? Yeah, we need to know God will be with us ultimately, but we need to know God in the land of the living today. Now, does anyone read the authorised version of the Bible, the King James? Anyone got a copy? Have you got a copy here? No. Well, I've got my mum's Bible here, and it's got lovely pictures in it. Uh, Let me read to you the Psalm 27, that last verse, in the authorised version. It's always good to read more than one version of the Bible because some translations don't give the full meaning. This is what the authorised version says for verse 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, 
That's very different to what the NIV says. The NIV says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then if you look closely at the authorised version, you'll see that the first bit is in italics. And in the, in the King James, if it's in italics, it means it wasn't there in the original Hebrew. The, the translators added it to make a complete sentence. So let's just remove the words in italics. And now I'll read it again. Ready? Unless I have believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you see? It's an unfinished sentence. And our spirituality is an unfinished business, isn't it? It's all very well saying, you know, I met the Lord in 19-whenever and, you know, I became a Christian then. But it's what about today? And it's what about tomorrow and this week, you know? Uh, unless, so David is saying, unless I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Well, the, the NIV's got a slightly more positive gloss on that. To say David was confident. He, he, he is confident, but he's still got this unless. We haven't got there yet, have we? And uh, we still need to seek him every day in his temple. And that leads us into the very last verse in the psalm. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I mean, the be strong is kind of a, an active word. It's a command to strengthen yourself, to be strong. Uh, and we read somewhere else in the scripture, David strengthened himself in the Lord. So, you know, we, we, it doesn't mean you can actually make yourself strong, but you can, you can get strength from the Lord, but it involves you seeking that strength. Does that make sense? So, while we're waiting to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, wait for the Lord. Who likes waiting? It's only two months to Christmas. Yeah, but... <laughs> When do you have a Christmas tree up in a couple of weeks' time? Uh, some people don't like... We, we, none of us like waiting, do we? You know, when we're in a doctor's waiting room and there's people being seen in front of us and we, you know, or whatever, it, it's... We don't like waiting. Um, but actually, it's what life is about. But it's not talking about waiting like this, with the thumbs twiddling. It's actually an active waiting. Waiting on the Lord is, is waiting in active expectation that we will see him in the land of the living. And so the final command from this psalm is to wait for the Lord, to be strong, to strengthen ourselves on the Lord, but keep waiting. But let's go back to the beginning. Waiting on what? Waiting on God. Waiting on the Lord who is our light and our salvation. Waiting... On, on, on him who is the one thing that we seek in his temple. And that's why it's important to keep meeting together. Because sometimes, as, a, as like an individual cold, we begin to lose our fire. But if we meet together, uh, we can meet him in God's temple. And we can be rejuvenated and encouraged. Well, it's, uh, I think you could probably see why this is probably my, one of my favourite psalms. There's so much in here, isn't it? Whichever day of your life you're in, you'll find something in this psalm. Um, and so I pray that we will dwell on this psalm and this word and grow in Christ.